Welcome to the Christian Renewal Church Sunday Sermon. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit ChristianRenewalHHI.org. Morning, everybody. There's a couple testimonies that I want us to hear uh, this morning. And uh, so I'm going to ask Bill Williams if you come on up here and share... Uh, Share your life a little bit with us and what God's doing. About two years ago, um, I, I, I had an experience at work that I need to tell you about because it kind of came to fruition again two weeks ago at a dinner. And the reason I want to tell you about this is, um, and my wife just kind of told me, it's like casting your bread. If it wasn't for my wife, I would not make it through life. Okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Um, so it's like casting your bread up on water because you never know what's going to happen. Um, two years ago, um, I was talking to a man named Chris Santos, and Chris was an executive vice president for a company named UTAS. Now, Bill will know, it's who Bill used to work for. It's a very, they employ over 100,000 people. Huge, huge company. Bill had brain cancer. I mean, uh, Chris has brain cancer. And um, I led Chris to the Lord in my office about two years ago, just before he died. He came into my office one day, and he starts talking to me. And we start talking about business. And he said, oh, by the way, I've been diagnosed with brain cancer. And I got up, and I locked my door. And I said, let's forget about all the business stuff. We're, we need to deal with this, Chris. This is a big deal. And probably about six to eight weeks later, he passed away. Here's what I didn't know. Here, and here's, this is amazing. There's a guy named Dave Gitlin, who is the executive vice president of this massive company, whom I have known for many, many years. Um, you know, when you, when you do something for a long time, you grow up with people. As you move up the ladder, they move up the ladder, and you stay good friends. Um, so about two weeks ago, I was having dinner with probably about eight people in Savannah. And it was the president of UTAS and five of his executive vice presidents and the president of Gulfstream and my peers. And we were sitting around the table. And we were eating, just having a normal business dinner. And just before we left, and we could tell things were wrapping up, Dave Gitlin, the executive vice president of this huge company, goes, looks at the president of Gulfstream and says, I've got to tell you something that Bill Williams did. And I'm thinking, oh, no, what have I done? You know, I thought, Leslie, it's been a great ride. You know, you know, let's start that budget thing we did years ago. So I'm thinking, uh-oh, what have I done? So the president of this company starts telling our president and the entire team that I prayed with Chris Santos before he died. And he said, Chris, he didn't know how to put it. He said, Chris had a religious and emotional experience. And I said, Dave, Chris got saved. 
And, 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 and the entire table was just silence. Because everybody at that table was what we would call high-wealth individual. Extremely high-wealth individual. And they depend on their intellects. And they have huge intellects. Um, and it was, it was just silence. And the president of Gulfstream looked at me and said, Well done, Bill. Very good call. And the, the reason I tell you that is you just never know. You just never, ever know. I mean, it was a 10-minute call. It was a 10-minute meeting in my office where I locked the door and said, we've got to talk about this. And, you know, it's like my wife says, you just cast your bread out there, and you, you just don't know where it's going to wind up. So I would just encourage you to cast your bread and, you know, take that step. You know, I was, I, I, I cannot believe that around 10 big business guys, that's what we were talking about. So it was cool. Amen. Your life matters, doesn't it? And where God has planted your life is uh, ordained of him. Uh, Cindy, would you come up and you would share some testimony? There's some things going on with you that we all need to hear. Um, most of you know, but for the, those of you who don't, last year I, um, I had a major change in my career. <laughs> I had started out in a little, small, quiet office at the hospital ordering supplies for them. And then all of a sudden, through corporate decisions, that was um, done away with. So asking God, where could I spend the next 10 years in my life that would make the most difference, I, was, I began a teaching career using my art degree. I entered a program where I could do that. Now, I've never taught before besides Sunday school and children's church. That's my only experience. And within a few days of missing a certain date, I was put in a classroom with no training, nothing. <laughs> it just said, here you go, teach them. And um, this school that I'm teaching at is in a unique situation where all the kids are in poverty. 100% uh, of them are on free lunch. They don't come from affluent homes. I'm at the other extreme of Bill Williams. <laughs> I, I have parents that are working two or three jobs to keep food on the table. Um, from that to um, kids who are actually homeless and living in their cars, and living from relative to relative. A lot of them are being raised by their grandparents. That's the situation where I'm at. And, um, but I feel like God has given me this opportunity. And for a long time there, because of the extreme conditions, I didn't know if I was going to make it. And I even told uh, Bill one Sunday, I said, I just don't know. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I have enough in me to, to get through this because I had promised that I would be able to teach through the end of May and it was getting into several months and, and it's just really hard. I teach pre-K through fifth grade 
And you would think these are really, you know, sweet, loving kids. But when you have first graders that throw chairs at you and you're having to break up fights between third graders and push kids out of the room that are bullying other kids and, you know, these kinds of situations, it kind of wears on you especially at my age. <laughs> and so I'm like, God, I don't, I don't know if this is really what I signed, what I want, you know? And he said, but this is what I want. This is where I want you to be. And so Ray, um, if anybody has ever met my husband for more than 10 minutes, you know that he prays the Ephesians prayer. <laughs> so he started, and Ernie, if you'll put up Ephesians 1, 12 through 23, you can see he began, he suggested that we started, start praying for our kids, my kids. And so I had a class roster and every day I have 65 different kids. So at night, the night before we, I'd have the, that particular group of kids, we would pray, we would start with this prayer and everywhere, um, uh, that doesn't look right. But, huh? Start on verse 17. I'm sorry. Anyway, we would start praying, and everywhere we would we'd start like this. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but um, you can read it as I as I talk. But we would say, we keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give, and then we'd start naming all 65 of these children. And then we'd say, the spirit of wisdom, these children, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know, so that they, these children may know him better. And then we'd continue through the whole prayer all the way through verse 23. And if Ernie, if you would just flip through those verses and let them read that. And we would do this every night. Well, what happened was, you know, what I wanted to happen was all of a sudden this miraculous change in the children. They would just be lovely and they'd come in there and behave and, and just be quiet and do what they're supposed to. But you know what? <laughs> that didn't exactly happen. But what did happen? was God gave me a compassion for these kids. That later when um, Bill said, well, what do you think? Are you gonna, what are you going to do? Because I said, oh, I'm going to try to make it through May, but we'll see after that. And, when he, and I said, I signed a contract for another year. <laughs> because, and he said, why? And I said, because God gave me a love for these kids. And they've become my kids now. And when I see them now, it's like I, I want so much for them to know the love of God. I want to be there for them. They don't have a lot of consistency in their life. They Even, you know, whether parents or guardians or whatever, they, they just don't have a lot in their lives. And I want to be that one person. And I have the opportunity, too, a unique opportunity, that even though I have different classes every year, I'll have these same kids for the next five years as they grow up through the school. And I'll be that one consistent part of them. And I'm not the only one praying, and I'm not the only... Christian at the school, 
but I'm a part of what God is doing in their lives. And one of the, the best part of my job that I just recently been assigned about a month or so ago was um, I got hall duty. And hall duty in the morning consists of standing in a corner, telling the kids, on the right, on the right, walk on the right, okay, take your hood off, good morning, good morning, you know, and I'm, I'm doing this, on the right, on the right. Well, while I'm doing on the right, a lot of the kids mistook this motion for I'm reaching out for a hug. So I started getting hugs in the morning. <laughs> it's now my favorite job. <laughs> So I have um, one little girl especially. She'll come up. She's only about maybe five. And she'll come up, and I don't know her situation, but you can tell by just looking at her that it's not necessarily good because some Mondays she'll come up to me and she'll just stare at me. And I'll say, did you have a good weekend, sweetie? And she'll just shake her little head no. And so I'll just take her. And she'll just bury her little head into my waist, and I'll just hold her on the side. And I said, that's okay. You just stand right here. And I'll just shoo everybody else on and wish them good morning while I'm holding on to her little shoulder. And then after a while, I'll say, are you okay now? And she'll go like this. And I'll say, all right, you have a good day. And that little girl has started so many people also getting hugs. And they'll just come up, and they'll know that Miss Morris will give hugs. And, they, and they'll get their hug, and then they'll go on their way. But I get to greet each of the kids, and even the older ones, the sixth graders, for the longest time, I'm like, good morning, good morning, like this. And I'll go, I know you saw me, good morning. You know? And some of them, they'll just kind of look at me, and I'll get a little grin. I was like, I saw that. You know. So it's like putting joy there and showing them that, there is joy in life. And the, one of the biggest things that also that prayer did was it changed me. It changed my prayer. Because my, my prayer went from, God, please help me get through this day, <laughs> to, God, please don't let me get in the way of what you're doing for these kids. Don't let my carnalness get in the way of what you want to do. Don't let me get my short temper or my impatience or my, you know, anything that is not of you get in the way of what you want to do to reach these kids, to love them, to reach them. And that's part of, um, part of James 1, 2 through 4, is when, we, when, he, when James says, count it all joy when you encounter these trials, Man, there is nothing like the fire of little children to bring out the impurities that are in your life that will bring that up because they know exactly where to push those buttons. And when you're breaking up a fight over here and you're trying to keep these kids from not painting each other and these others are wanting to know what the next instruction is and everybody wants your attention at once, it's like, God, please help me to keep calm. Help me to keep wise Help me to make wise choices. Help me to keep, keep giving them the, your gentleness and your love. And in that, he is perfecting me every day to be more like him. And I see that day after day. 
And I just thank him each day for the opportunity that he's given me. Uh, I, first of all, I think I need a hug. Can I get a hug? And anybody else who wants a hug, she's going to be around afterward. Now, ho, 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 there's a, there's a word for you here. So, Cindy, when you were talking, I just, I just felt like the favor of God was on you and coming on you in such a way, and this is what I heard, that there would be open doors and new opportunities. But I heard the words, this has never been done before, coming to you. Like, you'll hear that in the administration say to you, we've never done this before. But they're going to open doors to you because the favor of God is on you. I didn't bring my hanky today. <laughs> you know, I don't uh, Listen, each one of us can make a difference in our world, can't we? And sometimes we don't even know we're making a difference. That's what we carry. We carry not only a message, but we carry a presence with us. And that presence, whether you're feeling it in your emotion or not, is having an impact in your workplace, in your neighborhood, and in your world. And I need a big amen right there. All right, if you would, let's go to the book of Acts where we're continuing our study. And so the testimonies we just heard are very appropriate for where we're going this morning. We're in Acts chapter 8. My. Now, we've gone through a lot in the book of Acts, the Ascension and chapter 1, Pentecost and chapter 2, chapter 3, the whole event of the the Gate Beautiful, the man, the lame man at Gate Beautiful and all that took place there, thousands being saved. And chapter 4, John and Peter get arrested and stand before the council. And then in Acts chapter 5, we came to Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 6, now we've come to a problem in the church that is resolved uh, when government is applied and the seven deacons are appointed. And, uh, and in chapter 7, we have the martyrdom of Stephen, one of those deacons. And now we come to chapter 8, and we're gonna, we have a character study of three men in this chapter. We're going to look at Philip, known as Philip the Evangelist, uh, Simon, known as Simon the Sorcerer, and the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, in verse 1, in chapter 8, we'll begin reading. Verse 1, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So, 
there was much rejoicing in that city. Now, this was the really the first great persecution that the Christians uh, began to experience. Later, they would experience many under the, uh, the emperors. Uh, there's like 10 great persecutions that the Christian church suffered in those centuries. But this is the first that came from uh, the Jews. And uh, what, what, what I see here, when they're forced out of Jerusalem, the believers were scattered. Uh, they, they went preaching the gospel. This tells me that they did not let go of their faith. See? Yeah, they either went to prison or they were forced out of town. Uh, you know, if, if you were there in Jerusalem, you probably could have denied Christ. You know, and said, no, I'm not a Christian, and, and you'd be just fine. But the fact that they were scattered tells me that it's just one more evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that men and women would lay down their lives for this truth and not a delusion and not a lie. And so they held on to their faith, and this persecution uh, led to an evangelism. And this is exactly what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when he said to his disciples, you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even the remotest part of the earth. And this is the fulfillment of that. Now, you know, when I first used to read that verse, I would think, you know, you know that the apostles would get together and they would strategize on, on how to go forth to these different areas of Israel. And, and how, it didn't work that way. God, Jesus didn't even say it was going to work that way. He said, this is what's going to happen. And so he knew what persecution that the church was going to face. Matter of fact, he said to the disciples, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. And so here, tribulation is happening. And it says in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, it gives a little more detail about the persecution and the scattering that took place. Verse 19 says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, the men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Gentiles, to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord and the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So what we see here in this very first verse is Satan's attempt to destroy the church actually became the very instrument that further spread the Christianity and established it beyond Jerusalem to the Gentiles. So what this speaks to me is God will take what the devil attempts to throw at you and he can turn it for good the bible says that uh that uh, that all things work together for the good of those that love the lord and are called according to his purpose and so here's a perfect illustration how god used persecution i've seen the same thing in china as i've if i've learned the history of china when the communist party took over in 1949 there was a series of well, they expelled 10,000 missionaries, first of all, and all forms of religion were destroyed, Bibles were burned, churches were destroyed, and thousands of Christians were put into prison. Chairman Mao thought that he could crush Christianity in China. He didn't want any spiritual legacy happening, and so he forced out all religion. And it forced the church to go underground, and they met in homes. 
and then this is where I connect with the underground church because that is, that's their mode of gathering now. And they endured. And not only did they endure, but when China began to reopen again in the 20th century, the mission experts were shocked to see how Protestant Christianity went from under 750,000 Christians in 1950 to 58 million in 2010. It was like throwing gas on the fire. See, that's what perse- there's, there's, God will use persecution. God uses hardship in your life to produce something even more, e- even more better. Isn't that right? <clears throat> Christianity continues to flourish, even though even right now there's a new wave of persecution coming to the Chinese church. This is, I sat down recently with some network uh, leaders in China, and they told me what has been developing and what just came down in February. It's even more intense pressure upon the Chinese church, but they're not going to change anything. And uh, they continue to grow. And, and as the statistics are that there's a 7% church growth in China every year, an annual percentage growth of 7%. Now, what this means is just in a matter of years, China will have more Christians in their population than any other country. Hallelujah. (laughs) Take that, devil. (laughs) You know, one of the things I knew right away when I started coming to China is that it was like a a clean slate. That uh, China had eliminated, the government had eliminated the practice of many false religious traditions uh, because they didn't, they, it was a new day. It was a new China. And it became a clean slate for Christianity to flourish. Isn't that? Isn't that it, and then God just turns it on the devil. You know, uh, when you look at the cross, I don't know what was in the mind of that fallen angel, but he probably figured he was getting the upper hand by getting Jesus betrayed and the hatred that he instilled in the religious leaders to get him crucified Man, was he wrong. That backfired, didn't it? What I want to say to us here is that God can take what the devil plans for evil, even against you, and turn it to his purpose. Lucifer is a creation of God. Have you ever seen this painting? I really hate this painting. I've seen it on the internet where Jesus is arm wrestling Satan. Have you seen that? As if there were a battle, a real battle going on. Hello, Jesus created him. Jesus created Lucifer. Uh, and, and he can use, it's, I've heard somebody say uh, it's God's devil. He can use and manipulate that devil any way he wants. All right, chew on that one for a while. Now, uh, let's see. Uh, we, we, i give you one more example of this that I was thinking about this morning is the Apostle Paul suffered a lot of affliction, didn't he? Oh my gosh, you can just read a whole list of what he went through in bringing forth the gospel. And he spent really five years of his life in prison. But look what came out of that. Huh? Huh? The devil loses again. <laughs> and we're all the beneficiaries of the suffering that Paul went through. 
Now, the Bible has a lot to say about affliction and trials, and I'm going to cut this short because I want to get to some other parts of this chapter. But Jesus did say, and the world will have tribulation. As a matter of fact, you know, the Bible gives us spiritual armor, gives us a sword. This should give us a clue, you know, that there is opposition. When Jesus says, in this world you'll have tribulation, and you say, you know, why would God promise something like that? Well, why would we have tribulation? Because you're in the world. You're in a broken place. You're in a, you're in a place that is against God and that hates God and is at enmity against God. And so when we come forth with goodness and we come forth with truth, there is some opposition that goes on. But then he said, be of good cheer. Take courage, for I have overcome the world. All right? To have trials is biblical. To overcome them is the result of the nature that you and I have in our union with Jesus. You're an overcomer. Say this out loud. I'm an overcomer on the inside. You know, if we never had trials and tribulation, we'd never know, we'd never have the opportunity to overcome. We wouldn't have anything to overcome. We wouldn't know God as a deliverer. You know, the word victory would just be a hollow word if we never had a battle. But we win. We win the battles. I'm a little more excited about than you are. We're, we're you know, when I... My first trip to Africa, the Africans, man, they love to praise. They do. They love to praise. And I can still remember in the um, first crusade we did in Africa, I mean, they would dance and there would be a, a great dust cloud, you know, that would rise because they, they had uh, restless legs and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they would dance. And they were singing a song. And I, I couldn't quite understand the words. They were singing, Jesus, he's a wiener man, a wiener man, a <laughs> And, and I realized that that was the African accent for Jesus is a winner man. <laughs> so Jesus is a winner man. That's right. Hey Amen. I'm going to move on down to Philip. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's leave this affliction here. You know, God uses and tests us. It, 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 it purifies our faith, the trials and the hardships that we face with our proper response to the opposition of this world and persecution, it develops something in us. We, our faith comes forth like gold. There are things that get purified and tested in our lives. And so we come out of our trials and we come out of our hardships with something more than having just coming through them. We come forth with gold. We come forth with some maturity that we didn't have before. Now, in Acts chapter 8, the, ne- the first character that we're going to look at here is Philip. He was one of the seven deacons. This is not Philip the apostle, who was one of the twelve. And in Acts 21, he's referred to as Philip the evangelist. And uh, signs and wonders here that were taking place in his ministry were bringing attention to the gospel. Now, I want to I share a story with you uh, that we shared in our revival uh, small group and and this story comes from the uh, Argentina revival. You know, if you read revivals, they're very encouraging. They're, the, the Holy Spirit has broken out in so many different places at any given, uh, any given time. And in Argentina, it was one of the strongest revivals that just swept that nation, really has moved South America, which was predominantly Catholic, 
the Brazilian revival, the Chilean revival, and the Argentina revival has caused uh, Pentecostal evangelicalism just flourish and even surpass uh, the, the, the Catholic domination of, the, of, of those countries. And uh, there was it's quite a story that starts with a lot of prayer. But at one point, there was an evangelist. His name was Tommy Hicks. And this is during the time, you know, of Oral Roberts, William Branham, and all these fellows, and all the evangelists that were traveling in their tents in America. Well, he went down to Argentina. The Lord had spoken to him to go to Argentina. And he was pondering how he would begin his meetings in Argentina. Because they were really anti-Protestant, uh, anti-Christian, and no one was able to really get any uh, running track with the government as far as uh, preaching the gospel there. And he said while he was on the plane, and while he was pondering how he was going to do this, uh, God spoke to him, and the Lord told him to go and visit a Mr. Perone. The name Perone meant nothing to him, so he called a stewardess and asked her if uh, by any chance she had ever heard of a man in Argentina by that name. She laughed, and she answered, well, of course I have. He's the president of Argentina. Okay. So Tommy insisted he must visit the president. And so the next day, Tommy, with an interpreter, walked up to the, to the government house, which is called the Pink House, where the offices were located. As he neared the door, an armed guard, who also served as a porter, stopped him with a Tommy gun aimed at his breast and asked abruptly, Who are you and what do you want? Well, Pastor Hicks carefully explained to him, what he wanted. He wanted to hold a salvation healing crusade. The more Tommy explained, the more interested the guard became. Finally, the guard said, do you mean to say that God can heal? Yes, he can, and he will, replied Tommy. Well, asked the guard, can he heal me? Yes, he can. What's your problem? He said, I have hepatitis, and my liver is killing me with pain right now. And the guard answered, well, give me your hand. And the power of God surged into that guard's body, and in a moment, his pain and his sickness were all gone. The guard said to him, you come back here tomorrow. I will get you in to see the president. The next day, when Tommy returned, the same guard greeted him most cordially, escorted him into the, uh, the great oak door of the private office of the president of Argentina. And uh, he, the president greeted Tommy and his interpreter cordially offered them a seat, asked the reason for their coming carefully. Pastor Hicks explained in detail the desire that God had placed upon his heart to hold a citywide salvation healing crusade in a large stadium. Therefore, I want full press and radio coverage, and I want free rights of congregating in the stadiums and arenas around the nation. This small request. Well, the president listened thoughtfully and was amazed that he heard for the first time of the power of God to heal. Tommy uh, preached the gospel to him that day. At that time, the president was suffering from a most persistent and disfiguring sin, skin disease called psoriasis, a type of eczema which at that time no physician had been able to cure. And so uh, it had grown steadily worse and so noticeable that he, the president no longer wanted photographs to be taken of him. Okay? <clears throat> but his ailment had become common knowledge. And listening to the story of Jesus, the Son of God who heals through faith and prayer alone, the president asked, do, 
Do you believe that Jesus Christ heals today the same as he did when he was here on earth? Pastor Hicks says, of course he does. Give me your hand. And right there with hands clasped over the big desk, Hicks prayed the prayer of faith for President Perón, the dictator of Argentina, and the power of God flowed into the president's body. He staggered back under the impact. And before the eyes of all present, the skin of President Perón became as clean and soft and clear as a baby's, and he was instantly made whole. Hallelujah. Stepping back in utter amazement, he wiped his hand over his face and exclaimed, Caramba! Dios mio! He said, Good heavens! My God, I am cured! Is what he said. And, and, and he was healed of it instantaneously. Opening his arms wide in a characteristic Argentine gesture, President Juan Perón gave Tommy a hug and promised him everything he desired. Freedom of press, freedom of radio, freedom to hold large gatherings. And he got the stadium in town, which seated 60,000. And he had 50 nights of revival. Six million people came through that particular stadium. And then the other stadiums were filled up around the country as well. And of course, there were Blind eyes open, deaf ears open, cripples walk, tremendous miracles happened. Uh, the sale, nobody can even get a Bible back then because it just completely sold out and people were, were uh, offering big money to get Bibles. So my point is that the signs and wonders and the miracles and the power of God make a way for the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we desire it. That's why we have it. With it. But it's, it's, it's not just for us. It's to be like a bell that rings the good news of Jesus Christ to all those around. So this is one of the things I love uh, in, in my, my 40 years of ministry and going to, in doing frontier evangelism. Uh, it's just like when I'm, when I'm on the frontier where the gospel's never been preached. We did some unreached people group in... Um, in a little place called Tuva, uh, when the Soviet Union uh, uh, broke up. And then uh, that was so powerful. Uh, I mean, just a, it's Book of Acts stuff, you know, because you're, you're going into a place with the gospel for the first time. And why do I want to listen to what you have to say? Well, after a few miracles and after a few eyes are opened up, hey, what is it you got to say? <laughs> and it was so, it's such an exciting time that that unreached people group, now there's large churches there. We were the first ones there to pass out Bibles. We were the first ones there to get to the teacher's university and, and distribute the gospel of Jesus Christ to that area. It was so exciting. Years later, I thought, i got to do this again. And so I called up a brother, and we went to uh, an unreached people group in China called the Dong People. And the same thing took place on the frontier, on the front of the lines of the preaching of the gospel. I'm telling you something, signs and wonders are just the norm. That's what makes it so exciting. All right, you got my point. That's my point. (laughs) Signs and wonders bring attention to the gospel. Now, let's continue to read here. Uh, Verse 8 said, there was much rejoicing in that city. And now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria claiming to be someone great. And they all, from the smallest to the greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. 
Amen. See, the, the, the signs and wonders bring attention, but it is the preaching of the good news that brings conversions. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they began laying hand their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, here we, we have introduction here of, of government. Uh, that, that God is adding to uh, what's the revival that's going on in Samaria. Peter and John come down. Now, Peter and John were God's authorities. Peter and John were the ones that were instructed by Jesus about the Holy Spirit. And because they didn't, they didn't have this little book here on how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, they, they, they didn't have this literature right here. What they had is they had Peter and John who could, who could promote the further truth of God, which was the, the Holy Spirit and the coming of the Holy Spirit and to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. They had experienced it. So they came down, this was applied to the revival, and they were beginning to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the scripture says, when Simon saw what was going on, when he saw, let me find this here, verse 18, now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. See, there was something that Simon saw. There was something visible when they prayed for these people, and it was the... uh, the way it is in the other parts of, of, of the book of Acts, they were, it was probably they were speaking with other tongues and prophesying and glorifying God. That's how it's described in other parts of the book of Acts. There is a visible difference when the power of God fills the soul of a believer. And that's why I believe it's a second experience to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's a greater release. Yes, you're, you have the Holy Spirit in your spirit, but I'm going to tell you something. When, when the Holy Spirit is released into your soul, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is released into your soul and released into your mind, your emotions, and your will. That's power. And Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And this is what Simon was seeing. He was seeing power. He was seeing the manifestation of power. Now, because Simon, he was a first century magician that had the attention of the community. And uh, he was a seer, a prophet, a sorcerer. That's what this word magos means. Uh, And he operated in a combination of the occult, uh, spells, curses, and tricks. Uh, And, of course, it was probably Simon's source of income. He had been amazing the people of Samaria for a long time. This was his role in the community. I mean, he was the rock star there. And uh, many early church writers have record of Simon. He's also referred to as Simon Magus or uh, Simon of Gitta. And uh, it is written about him in history. Historians have kept a record of his magic feats. They claim that he could make himself invisible when he pleased. They assumed he could assume the appearance of another person or animals. He could pass unharmed through fire, cause statues to come alive, and make furniture move and perform many other miracles. So he was obviously very engaged with the occult. And in verse 13 says, Even Simon himself believed and being baptized, he was observing the signs and the great miracles. Taken. He was pretty taken up 
with the power that Philip was operating in because it was a higher power than his own power. And of course, he had a great interest in it as any magician of his status would be where they would, um, <laughs> they'd want every new trick in the book. If this is your income to raise your standard and your status is to have, to have the, that kind of power. And so he offers them money for that power. Oh, there's something that money, I, that'd make me a bunch of money. If I could do this, if I could lay hands on people and this could happen. See, he was, he was lusting after that power. Now, when the apostles showed up, here's what they said. He said in verse 19, Simon said, Give me this authority as well, so that everyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And here's Peter. Peter is going to reveal the heart of Simon, the the true character of Simon here. He said, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no portion or part in this matter, your heart is not right before God. See, Simon, his heart was unconverted. But it says he believed. You know, let me give you a few things about believing. You know, the devils believe and tremble. Isn't that right? This was not a saving faith. The heart must be converted. If you'll remember in John chapter 2, in verse 23, it says this. When Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name, seeing his signs, seeing the signs that he was doing. But, big but here, Jesus did not trust himself to them. He was not giving himself to them because he knew all men and needed no one to bear witness of man, for he himself knew what was in man. In Luke chapter 8, verse 13, Jesus described the second soil like this. The ones on whom that fell on the rock, those who hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root and believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said, I preached to you the gospel which you received and which you stand by which you are saved if you hold it fast unless You believed in vain. There is such a thing as believing in vain. James called it barren or dead faith. And so here, Simon the magician is seeing the signs that Philip was doing better than his own. He loved the signs, but never saw the ugliness of his own sin and his need for repentance. Peter says right here, he says, your heart is not right. Your heart is wrong. It's dark. Therefore, he needed repentance. He says, therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours. He said, I see that you are in the gall of bitterness, the poison of bitterness, and you are still in the bondage of iniquity, the bondage of your sin. So here we have really a false Christian, a false believer who was seeking what the Lord could do, and it was an unconverted heart. You know, why would Luke put this in here? I'll tell you why. (laughs) His motivation was wicked. Uh, His heart was wicked. Repentance was necessary. And here's here's what Peter said to him. I see. 
that you were in the gall of bitterness. It was a discerning by the gift of the Spirit in Peter that could reveal his heart. You know, that not everybody that sits in a pew is converted. You know, there was a man that came up to Jesus and said, it was a scribe, came up to Jesus and said, I want to be one of your disciples. I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus kind of turned him away when he said, you know, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man have nowhere to lay his head. And and then there was two other people. You know, uh, another one he asked to follow him, and he said, first let me go bury my father. You know, hey, this sounds like a very reasonable request. You know, let him go say goodbye to his family. Listen, Jesus could see. And he could see the heart of men. He could see this, this scribe was unwilling to leave geographical location and sell out to Jesus. He could see this other man. He knew that his, his own relatives would talk him out of his commitment to Jesus Christ. Jesus sees beyond the outward and he sees the heart. And this is what Peter's doing. He's not, yeah, he, yeah he, he prayed the prayer like everybody else, Simon, and then he got baptized. But I'll tell you something. He could see by the gift of the Spirit the heart of Simon. Now, if you go to your dictionary, you're going to find a word in there, and it's the word simony. You ever heard that word before? This is using religion or sacred things as a means of profit. Selling indulgences. The sin of buying or selling ecclesiastical offices. The use of wealth to seek positions of influence in the church. Politicians that declare their Christian faith to gain those votes. And my question is, you know, why did Luke put this in here? Well, has the practice of getting rich on the anointing and gift of God and evil that has shown up in our day? That's why it's in here. There's false conversions. There are deceivers. There are false Christs. And he was one of them. As a matter of fact, the the writers... um, let me, let me read to you from um, A.W. Tozer first. And, and those of you, how many of you have all read after? You maybe have, if you haven't, he was, a, he was a, in my estimation, he was a prophet before his time, and a 20th century prophet, and a very prolific writer, a lot of his writings. And this guy can get your seat back in its upright position, I'll tell you. Uh, he, he cut to the core of modern heresy way back in the 50s and 60s. Here's what he said in his book, uh, The Root of Righteousness. He wrote in 1955, speaking on the subject of reformation and regeneration, he said, the idea that God will pardon a rebel who has not given up his rebellion is contrary to the scriptures and to common sense. How horrible to contemplate a church full of persons who have been pardoned but who still love sin and hate the ways of righteousness. How much more horrible to think of heaven filled with sinners who have not repented or changed their way of living. Then he tells an illustration of a governor that incognito went to a prison because he was going to meet one of the inmates that he was considering pardoning. And so this inmate didn't know who he was talking to, and this convict said, Listen, if I ever get out of this place, he said, the first thing I'll do is cut the throat of the judge who sent me here. Well, (laughs) 
that governor <laughs> changed his mind. Why? Because there was a heart that was unrepentant over what happened. And, the, and here's Tozer says, the teaching of salvation without repentance has lowered the moral standards of the church and has produced a multitude of deceived religious professors, teachers who erroneously believe themselves to be saved when in fact they are still in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. And to see such persons actually seeking the deeper life is a grim and disillusioning sight Yet our altars are sometimes filled with seekers who are crying out with Simon, give me this power. When the moral groundwork has simply not been laid for it, the whole thing is a victory for the devil by teachers who teach the evil doctrine of regeneration apart from reformation. Did you hear what Pastor Caleb was saying last week? And he was talking about, yes, I believe that it is by grace that we are saved and Jesus is my righteousness and I get credit for his righteousness. Yet at the same time, we're exhorted to holiness. Be ye holy as I am holy, God said. And without holiness, no one shall see the Lord. This grace will produce reformation. And if it isn't producing reformation, I have to question if the man's born again. If he's still desiring evil, his evil ways, if he, he can't detach himself from the sin that has captivated his heart, this is what was going on with Simon. And so we have quite a picture of Simon here in the scripture. And without going into any more of it, uh, you, can, you can go to the internet and you can read about Simon and uh, uh, the cult following that was inspired after him. He was labeled an antichrist, the father of heresy, a false prophet. Many books and even movies have been based on his character. There's even a cartoon character, Simon Magnus. And, and, and you, can, you can go to the internet, you can read all about him. Uh, he was a false teacher. Uh, Philip was preaching Christ, but Simon, like many deceivers, was bragging of himself. False teachers will draw followers after themselves. And we're to make followers of Christ, disciples of Christ, not disciples of ourselves. And so today you can see false teachers that do that. They draw unto themselves. False teachers are receiving the affections that belong only to Christ. Isn't that right, Susan? That's an, that's an error today. You want to say something about that? I said, <laughs> It's true. Simon was a false prophet and a false Christ. Uh, the, the Syriac version of the New Testament says he was saying that I am that great one. He was claiming himself to be a great one. Later writings confirm that he declared himself to be the Christ. And when he lived in Rome, declared that he would ascend to heaven in the sight of the Romans. Simon permitted himself to be worshipped. He declared that he himself was the manifestation of the splendor of God. This is what the history tells us. This is what the writers and even early church fathers have written about him. And so Jesus warned us way ahead of time that there would be tares among the wheat. And this evil can still be present today. So let's get to our third character here uh, in, in the scripture. And this is the Ethiopian. And, and we'll pick this up. In verse 25, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. Verse 25 says, So when they had, this is Peter and John, had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord to the Samaritans, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. 
But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. And so he got up and went, I love I, I loved this. I've got it highlighted, circled in red. Quotation marks. Just the first four words here. Get up and go. That's a, that was a good word for Philip. I'll tell you something, that's a good word for every Christian. Get up and go. That's the word of the Lord. And so verse 27 says, He got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in ch- and he, he was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come up to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, Well, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this, He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And they went along the road, and they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. See, there's a real, a real result of a converted heart, is the joy that was in Jerusalem, great rejoicing in that city, and here this Ethiopian eunuch, uh, rejoicing greatly. And Philip found himself at Azotus, about 20 miles away. As he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Now, uh, I like this. The angel said to him, get up and go. That was the word of the Lord to him. And Philip leaves the revival success there in Samaria to obey this communication from heaven. Now, that that. That says a lot. The wisdom of God uh, is greater than the logic of men. Logically, you know, hey, we want to stay in the revival here. This is where it's happening. This is, you know, by God, you know, the miracles that are happening. Let's build a prayer tower right here. I want to start my Bible school in Samaria. You see? But he could hear uh, the, the, the communications from heaven through the angel to leave the revival and go down to the desert, to a desert road. That's very commendable to me. That God's wisdom in this matter was for the gospel to continue on from Samaria to go to the other parts of the earth. That was the plan and the mission of God. And he had a man that could hear it. Now this eunuch was a, a high official of one of the great kingdoms of Africa at that time. When we talk about Ethiopia today, it's, it's a smaller nation. Here it was a, a much larger area of Africa uh, and so 
it was one of the rich kingdoms in that continent. And uh, this eunuch was a high official. Uh, Candace, well, that's, that's really a title for the queen. Uh, who, the, the queen handled uh, the affairs, the administrative affairs of the government, while the king was more regarded like a deity. And the woman did all the work, and the guy... That doesn't, that doesn't happen today, does it? <laughs> <You know? clears throat> and in verse 27, it says, it shows us that he was coming back from Jerusalem where he went to worship. No, he was a worshiper. Okay? He may have been a Jew, he may have been a proselyte, but he was a worshiper and a seeker of God. There he is sitting in his, this chariot. The chariot, you know, when we think of a chariot, we think, we think about those war chariots. This is more like a wagon uh, carrying goods and carrying this, this man and probably pretty decked out wagon, you know, so it was obvious looking at the wagon, this was a rich, this guy was in charge of all the treasure there, uh, of the, of the country. And so Philip hears and obeys the voice of the spirit to go up and join this chariot. Okay. Now what this really speaks to me, uh, how God is going after this eunuch. You know, he's just coming back from Jerusalem, and I'm sure, you know, the news in Jerusalem, you know, there's, I mean, that's how they got the news. I mean, they didn't have daily press. I mean, everybody told what's going on in the city. What's been going on in the city was a great persecution against the Christians. What's been going on in the city was the martyrdom of Stephen. What's going on in the city is all the things that had taken place just recently times and so he's coming back from jerusalem he didn't get saved in jerusalem you know he may not have heard the gospel in jerusalem but i'll tell you something god followed him god was after him god wanted this gospel to go to the continent of africa because this man eventually he after he got saved he was known as the father of evangelism in africa (laughs) god knows what he's doing He's a wise man. He's got some Holy Ghost connections. I've seen a few of those on the frontier. Uh, just some Holy Ghost connections where there are individuals who is like what you shared here. These connections are in the hand of the Lord. And if I can hear the voice of the Spirit, you know, think about the millions perhaps that are saved in Africa over all these generations as a result of one man's obedience to the Spirit of God to go up and join this chariot and begin to preach the gospel to this man. Now, here, here's, here's another little phrase that you see in this portion of Scripture. Uh, he, got, he was invited and he came into the Ethiopian eunuch's chariot. What he did is he got into his world. See, we're... This, this week I, I spent some time this past week with some pastors. We're all board members of a, 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 an organization that oversees different churches and ministries in Georgia and Florida. And we're sitting, we, we're at Gilbert's Farm and carrying on. And, and uh, it's Pastor Joey. And Joey was talking about the, the change that they went through in their church and in their community in Cochrane, Georgia. Uh, and he made a shift from being an attractional church, church should be attractive, to becoming a missional church. See, in the USA today, our, uh, the church has become, our gatherings have become uh, 
along the mode of being an attractional church. That is, we have nice buildings, we have nice soft chairs, we have nice music, we have nice programs, we got wonderful preaching, and um, to, to be attractive so that people will come in uh, and, and come and see what's going on here. Well, you know, most people that are lost don't get up at uh, 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning to, to come to church. That's not what they do. <laughs> see, we've gone from being a missional church where we go out into every man's world. I like, it. I like that's that verse how uh, Oral Roberts always used to say it, Go that Jesus said, go into every man's world and preach the gospel. He didn't say, go into all the world and hold meetings and hope some, believer, some unbelievers will come in. No, I'm all for unbelievers that come in and I believe in the come and see evangelism and we should be inviting our, our friends and relatives to come hear the gospel. You know, to, you know, we got some good things going on they could be a part of, but the ideal is that we go into every man's world. And what they started doing is they found out where the lost gather. And they went where the lost gather rather than trying to get the lost into where we gather. Duh. Kind of makes sense, don't it? <laughs> you know, we're, we're fixing to go through some changes here in Christian Renewal Church. And one of the things we have discerned about our new pastor is he has a missional heart. He wants to see where the next generation is gathering and he wants to bring the light of God into these places. And we're on board, aren't we? Yeah. Yes. And I hope we all get inspired, as inspired as, as Cindy is inspired, even though it's a hard task that she's taken on. She understands she's a light. And she's going where the need is is thank you and i realize there are some more here that do the same thing being involved in boys and girls clubs and being involved where the need is the weavers are going into uh, the nursing home listen we are an outreach oriented church we have in our hearts the gospel of jesus christ to share amen let me keep moving forward let's finish this now, as a result of this encounter that Philip has with the eunuch, the gospel is now going to Africa. And Philip's ability to receive the guidance of God and his obedience perhaps changed millions and also qualifies him for his next assignment 20 miles away. So when he gets through with this one, he gets snatched away, poof, and disappears. I love it. I... I I've been, I've been asking God and believing God for many years that I wouldn't have to sit 15 hours on an airplane to get to China. But I can just, you know, after I close the Bible here, poof, I can be gone and get to, get to one of my meetings in Beijing or wherever. Wouldn't that be great? I think if we become a missions, if we're about the, the things of God, if we're about God's mission, if we're about what God wants, the signs and wonders will follow the preaching of the gospel. Somebody say amen. Amen. So let me, let me close it by saying this. My takeaway from Acts chapter 8, and hopefully our takeaway is this, that God will use hardship that we face to better our lives, but also to promote his own mission. He will use miracles, signs and wonders in the preaching of the gospel to get the attention of the lost. 
He uses government like he did with Peter and John to bring discernment and protection to the revival that was going on in Samaria by uh, discerning Simon and bringing the message of the baptism of the Holy Spirit to them. He uses angels as partners in the work of the gospel and he uses obedience for the extension of his kingdom and he wants to use you. God is always looking out and wanting some missionaries. We have any missionaries in here? People on a mission? Got one? Got two? Any other missionaries? Got three? Four? Missionary? 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 All of us are missionaries. (laughs) I'm going to give you the same word that Jesus gave the disciples and the devils. Go! I mean, now, the meeting's over, go! <laughs> Let's, if you're a missionary, stand to your feet. And I have a confession for us this morning. I, I wrote out a little confession. Let's, we can say it together when he puts it up on the screen. There we go. Let's, let's confess this together. I am God's missionary. My family is my mission field. My neighborhood is my mission field. I preach the good news of Jesus Christ. I live to please God and fulfill His will on the earth. I obey the voice of the Spirit as He daily directs my steps. I am a capable minister of the new covenant. I am called to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. I am sent to call men to repentance and receive the gift of eternal life. I am a carrier of the presence of God. I operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I have access to the supernatural knowledge and wisdom of God. I will not be distracted from my mission, but will fulfill it by the grace of God. I will be found doing the will of God when Jesus returns or takes me home to receive my reward at the judgment seat of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Sunday's sermon. Be sure to visit ChristianRenewalHHI.org for more resources.